0: Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refine Collective Podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. Thank you so much to Newsstand Studio here at Rock Center, New York City, for hosting the space of my podcast. I just pinch me, feel so grateful to get to be here. So thank you. Thank you, Newsstand Studio, for having me. And we are continuing our break This week from the That's What He Said series to have a nuanced and layered conversation about faith and politics. But do not worry. We are getting back to the That's What He Said series next week with a conversation that has never been published before with a single guy from LA his name is Matt Jones. He's the oldest single guy I interviewed in this series. He's almost 40, he's actively dating and looking for his person. So this isn't some some guy who is just, you know, casually swipe and right, swipe and left. So him answering your top 15 questions about dating and relationships is really he gives a really interesting perspective being the age he's at. So Stay tuned for that episode next week. Right now, we have part two of the Faith and Politics Conversation. On Monday, I had a conversation with speaker and author Ashley Abercrombie on why being pro-birth isn't enough and how to have a compassionate and nuanced dialogue around abortion. If you haven't listened to it, give it a listen after this conversation. And today, we are talking about how our faith impacts how we vote, and we talk about a lot of great things, but we're really going to be asking the question, can I love my neighbor through my politics? Our guest today is Stephanie Summers. She is the CEO of the Center for Public Justice, an independent, nonpartisan civic education and public policy organization based in Washington, D.C., and is the publisher of the online journals Capital Commentary and Shared Justice. Ms. Summers is a member of the advisory board for the Institute of Public Service at Pepperdine University. She earned a master's degree in nonprofit management from Eastern University, where she holds an appointment to the Board of Fellows for the PhD in organizational leadership. She also chairs the board of the McElvain Fund, an alumni parent group supporting Coalition for Christian Outreach Campus Ministry at her undergraduate alma mater, Kenyon College. Ms. Summers has an extensive experience in managing nonprofit organizations, building strategic partnerships, and working with volunteers to grow organizational capacity and and impact. Prior to her appointment at the Center for Public Justice, Stephanie spent 12 years with the Coalition for Christian Outreach, where her roles included Vice President for the Eastern Region and Vice President for Organizational Development. She began her career in nonprofit administration as Executive Director of The Open Door, a church-based youth center in Pittsburgh, and she is a member of the Association of Fundraising Professionals. She and her husband, Jason E. Summers, are residents of the District of Columbia. Welcome, Stephanie. And first of all, is there anything you haven't done or don't do? Uh, Physics. (laughs) Thanks for having me here today.
1: I'm really glad to be here.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And even, gosh, I know I just gave your resume, which... Gosh, as I was reading it, I was so intimidated. Before we even started recording, I had to ask you how to pronounce certain <laughs> words <laughs> because your experience is comprehensive and you have really just dedicated your life to learning and ministry and justice. And in that, I, wanna, I would love to ask you to um, give sort of the black and white words on the page of your resume some color. Um, so who are you, Stephanie, and why is this the path that you are on?
1: Oh, that's a wonderful question. So the super short answer of why (laughs) is um, Jesus. Uh, I I became really passionate about uh, young people coming to Christ because uh, Christ found me as a young person, Um, and uh, I have pretty much spent my entire career in various iterations Uh, leading faith-based nonprofit organizations to help young people navigate some of life's most complex questions, Mm. Uh, the places uh, that keep people awake at night, uh, the conversations that sort of roll around in your head and make you wonder about who you are and what you're here for. Mm. Um, And so, uh, you know, there's not really a straight line between doing youth ministry working in college ministry, and then working for a faith-based think tank, except um, that kind of thread of the sets of questions that are really complicated um, and a season in life where folks are open to uh, wrestling with the implications of the questions. Um, and so this is a place where uh, I've just been really privileged to serve. Um, and um, certainly my heart with the Center for Public Justice uh, has been helping uh, Christians understand more of what it looks like to serve God um, through politics, mm-hmm. to love our neighbor through politics in particular.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um... So so much there, and well. So first, before we kind of go onto the the justice questions that I have for you, I'm curious when you you kind of brought this up a couple times of supporting people through some of the hardest questions. What what are some of those questions or common themes you've seen over the years? Sure, um, I think
1: uh, one of the hardest questions uh, comes down to answering any question where it seems like the question is a yes or no answer, Mm. but you know, it's not, Mm. you know, it's much more complicated than that. Um, And, you know, certainly in an election season, um, there are a ton of questions that are like that. Um, And, you know, one of the unfortunate things in an election season is, you are often choosing between two candidates for something. Um, And so there is a decision that one has to make, um, but the decision is not just a for or against decision that's Mm -hmm. like super simple. There's a lot more nuance there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that would be a great example of, you know, those types of questions um, that kind of have a lot of nuance behind Mm -hmm.
0: them. Yeah. And I think it's what feels interesting to me about even just what you're talking about as we have a conversation about politics is it almost seems as though if we look at social media, if we look at the news, it would seem as though on either side, the answer seems really black and white. Yes. And, and I don't, maybe this is just a, a struggle that I have had in the past with voting, but It's almost like I feel guilty or incompetent or dumb if the decision doesn't feel that easy to me. (laughs)
1: Well, let me take the pressure off. Um, there, there is no way that the decisions are easy. Mm. In fact, if they're easy, I would probably encourage, uh, you know, if it feels easy, I would probably encourage the person to whom it feels easy Mm. to talk to someone who doesn't think like them for a little while to understand how they might see it another way. Mm. Um, just because it might open up some of the places where there is nuance Mm. and, you know, you could still walk away from that conversation making exactly the same prudential decision, right? A decision based on wisdom um, and a decision based on conscience, but it would be a decision that wouldn't um, be uninformed about a broader perspective that maybe hadn't been considered before mm. about how one gets to a decision when, you know, the Bible isn't telling you who to vote for, for right. example. Right. Um, so we're relying upon God's work by the power of the Holy Spirit to really help us apply wisdom mm. to really complicated problems and make a decision about who we would elect when we can't possibly know everything we need to know if we we're mm. going to make the perfect decision, right? Mm. Um, the other piece, you know, just to your piece about feeling maybe maybe incompetent or dumb, you know, to totally take the pressure off. Mm. One of the challenges um, of sort of voting in particular as a, you know, kind of, being presented with this opportunity, and it's an amazing, wonderful opportunity, right? Everything in our culture sort of makes it all about you and your decision, um, and so it feels really weighty. And even like voting in a non-COVID year, where you are going to go to your polling place, um, you are in a you know little booth or a little sheltery thing, depending, um, where you know you're voting alone. Um, and that whole thing is sort of a cultural liturgy that's there, you know, in a good reason, right? Nobody can mess with your vote. Um, so you have privacy to mm-hmm. do that. But it it shapes you to think this is all about you. So you don't think about who you're voting for in terms of I'm voting on behalf of people who are not just me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm voting for the well-being of our political community, Right. Um, I'm voting for the well-being of my neighbors, not just me, but you also feel like it all rides on you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I really encourage um, folks, even if it's 11 days before, you know, the presidential election, to get a group of friends together, to, you know, have a conversation, to piece out the work, Mm -hmm. um, to think about more than like the president, but think about all the other folks who are further down the ballot who are making decisions about your community that are so significant. And I can give you just a couple really concrete examples, right? Um, Most people don't know how the chief law enforcement officer in their jurisdiction at the local level gets either elected or appointed, Hmm. right? But the chief law enforcement officer has incredible responsibilities for the administration of justice in a fair way. Um, And sometimes that person's appointed by... Um, the chief executive for your jurisdiction. So you know, depending on what, where you are—a big city, small town—you know, this could be your mayor. Um, sometimes it's um, they are voted into office. You know, the sheriff is often voted into office by the residents of a county. Um, you know, those types of officials really matter for the well-being of a community. I can give you a super concrete example. You know, there's many that have to do with um, the larger culture larger cultural conversation around Mm -hmm. racial justice right now. Um, But there's also examples of just ways that the administration of justice unfairly punishes the poor, something that would be very grievous um, to God's heart. Um, you know, you see all kinds of counsel in scripture that's basically talking about bringing justice for the poor and castigating unjust public officials. Um, and most people will walk into the voting booth and not even think about the fact that they're possibly electing the chief law enforcement officer for their jurisdiction. But um, that person is going to do things like, you know, set up speed, you know, make it okay to set up speed traps that catch residents, um, you know, driving their kid uh, to school, um, or back and forth from the post office where the law officers may or may not know how to use the technology and may or may not be hauling people who are actually innocent into court, mm-hmm. um, who don't have the money for a hundred dollar ticket. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you know, have all kinds of situations like that where there's just sort of the unfair administration of justice or people who are tremendously fair and good public officials. Um, and we sort of haven't done the homework before we get into the voting booth to know about those people yeah. often because we're sort of focused on everything that's happening for the White House.
0: Mm, that's such a good point. And I mean, even when you talk about the chief law enforcement officer, I'm like, I don't know who does that in my town. And I, I don't know that information. And so what, 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 where would you point someone to like myself, like some anyone listening to this, is there a place where we can find unbiased information about not just presidential candidates but the but the other names on the ballot because i think what has felt overwhelming to me in the past is and even now especially in social media culture i don't know what's true and i don't know underneath where i'm finding whatever information what's the agenda so i think it can feel overwhelming to even sit down at my computer and think okay what do i even google to take this voting opportunity seriously? And how do I know the information I'm getting is accurate or unbiased?
1: Yeah, Yeah. no, it's a great question. So for folks who live in smaller communities, so not major metropolitan areas, Um, The local paper is, if you still have one, is the number one source of this information Mm -hmm. um, because they really are invested in local news and being able to present information to the public. Um, And so often local newspapers run a tremendous amount of information about candidates, um, giving candidates all kinds of opportunity to share their views, to talk about, um, you know, return surveys, do interviews, lay out their platforms Um, in larger markets um, that often comes in maybe Community-based newspapers. So think about this as probably a nonprofit enterprise that goes on in the context of your neighborhood, um, or in candidate forums that happen in the community. Mm-hmm. The great thing about um, you know so many things being on you know platforms like Zoom right now is a lot more of those candidate forums that are held maybe by a local church um, or a local community organization um, are available now on the internet in a way that in the past you had to be in the room in order to be there and hear the candidates speak. Um, now, you know, candidates themselves know that it's to their advantage to take part in those because it's the only way they're going to reach voters. Mm. Um, and so there's actually a lot more information available that way. But it does, in a in a year where not everything is happening on, on platforms like Zoom, um, it does make an argument a little bit, if you live in a local market, um, yeah. you know, with a local newspaper, to pay for news um, because, you know, we've seen the decline of uh, local papers um, and you're losing actually the most important source of this information in local communities um, when local papers die. Um, so, it, you know, just a plug there to pay, yeah. f- pay for local news. Um, the, the other piece is, you know, do you know people in your own network who are more connected to the political process, or the local government than you are. Um, and this can take a lot of forms. You know, this doesn't have to be one person who knows everything. But, um, you know, often uh, folks who are connected to someone who serves on the school board or serves on the county p- planning commission or works in the mayor's office on some aspect of it, you know, a lot of times these people are actually in churches together. Mm -hmm. Um, and because politics is such a touchy subject, um, they don't often get asked any questions, um, Mm -hmm. by their fellow congregants about, you know, what they do or what they think or, you know, anything about what's going on. Um, it's one of those vocations that, you know, even though kind of come from this perspective in many congregations that sort of all things belong to God, mm-hmm. um, you know, the pol- politicians and folks who serve in government actually feel incredibly lonely in churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so asking those folks, you know, what they think about it and, you know, because they're, more than likely willing to have a conversation, um, could be another way uh, to have that. And then the last piece would be reaching out directly to the campaigns, depending mm-hmm. on who, um, you know, and at what level. Um, in Washington, D.C., we elect um, advisory neighborhood commissioners, um, and they represent 2,000 residents. That's like the footprint of their representation. Um, and so the ANC, the folks who run for ANC are incredibly responsive, in part because literally they could meet every single 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 person they were representing if they wanted to try to do that by knocking on everyone's door. Um, But, you know, asking them about, you know, what they think you, they're an email away. So Mm -hmm. those are all some possibilities for how to get to the various people, depending on what level.
0: Yeah. It sounds like what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is it's almost as though you just need to take a step forward. So I Mm -hmm. think overwhelm can paralyze movement. For me, yes. <laughs> I think for no, that's cool. a lot of us. And so just to take one step. So if that process feels overwhelming, well, I can, I can definitely look at my circle of influence, my friends, peers, coworkers, and identify, oh, this person seems to be really well versed on XYZ. They might know more than me. Why don't I sit down and have a conversation with them? Or let me go look if my town has a local paper and let me commit to reading it for right. 20 minutes for, you know, the election is going to be in a week. So let me commit to looking at that and spending time researching for the next week. And even just in this past year with everything going on with the Black Lives Matters movement, I've I've experienced personally, it's a lot easier to contact the government officials in towns than I ever thought possible. I mean yes. the phone numbers are right are on the internet. We can call mm-hmm. them and leave voicemails and ask questions and there are emails available. So I love I I love your insight of just just take a step forward. You know, it does it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be we don't have to know all things at once, but just to make movement. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if, you, if you think about doing it with a group of friends
1: too, I mean, you know, so what's the, you know, brainstorm together the list mm. or look at your ballot together and mm. say, Hey, there's these 16 things on the ballot. Um, can we divide these up? And, mm. you know, we each, we each figure out the answer to two and we come back and put our heads together. It It's a helpful way to say, you know, it, it, for example, you know, back to the chief law enforcement officer, right? Same deal with the school board, mm. right? your school board sets the school discipline policies, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it's, I mean, and does many other things, but, um, you know, knowing whether or not those folks are elected or appointed, um, knowing whether they're under mayoral control or are independent, mm-hmm. um, you know, just knowing those things might shape how one would think about voting for a particular candidate given mm-hmm. their position, um, you know, relative to things like school discipline or mayoral control or funding for schools. Mm-hmm.
0: And so in that, when you're, I love that idea of getting with a group of friends. Um, what do you think about, so someone just voting, well, I'm going in, I am a Republican or I am third party and then, or Democrat, whatever it is, and just saying, well, I'm just going to vote down the line red or down the line blue, or what are your thoughts on that? Is that, is that a good idea? <laughs> is it not a good idea? So I think I think one of the things
1: I would maybe back up um, and put it in a little bit of a larger frame just mm. to sort of think about how our faith as Christians mm. impacts how we vote, um, which is not the only responsibility we have as citizens. So, you know, I know the focus of this time is just this one, mm. um, but um, for sure, you know, to give a couple like really practical ways that our faith impacts how we vote you know in in one way it it shapes our understanding of elected officials as ultimately accountable to god whether or not they've know God, whether or not they believe, but because if we believe that this is God's world, um, the administration of justice through politics is being done by people, um, regardless of whether or not they know God or they are not doing that work. Um, you know, and for folks coming out of more reformed tr- traditions, the doctrine of common grace shows us that God can use people who Do not know him to accomplish his purposes. Um, So, you know, it's not as simple as saying, well, these are the good guys or these are the bad Mm -hmm. guys, right? Mm -hmm. So on one. The other, you know, just how faith impacts how we vote, you know, it shapes our understanding of the purpose of politics as a way, certainly not the only way, um, but a way to accomplish what I'm going to call proximate justice um, in a world that's fallen and will only be fully restored by God in the end. Um, politics is a way that we respond to God's call to love our neighbors. Um, and when we think about voting in that frame, that is a different thing than saying I'm an X, therefore I vote X. Mm. Um, so, you know, I would sort of back it out to kind of that question. Two more, you know, uh, sort of how faith impacts how I vote. It, It shapes our understanding that my vote isn't designed to be all about me but it's really about the well-being, well-being, the, the shalom, the flourishing of our community. Um, so, you know, when people tell me like, hey, I don't vote, mm-hmm. um, you know, because politics is such a mess and I don't even want to like get out there and do this. You know, I always try to encourage the person to think about this as, you know, th- this vote actually, if you think that the vote doesn't matter because it doesn't impact your day-to-day existence, that is that is the equivalent of sort of saying, good luck, neighbors. Hope wow. it works out all right for you. Your lives have a need for good, just administration. My life, I'm okay without, you know, like that doesn't affect me. And I don't think God's good with that. Mm-hmm. So I, like to me, it's a place where it compels us to see that we're voting for the well-being of our community, not just like a preference that I have. And then the last would be, you know, our faith really should shape our understanding of every human being as made to bear God's image, um, meaning we need to consider what God intends for the well-being of all humans, not just the ones that we know, not just the ones that we like, not just the ones that agree with us. Um, and that too might um, be something worth considering if, you know, uh, when walking into the voting booth. Um, one is thinking, well, I'm an X, therefore I vote team X. Um, you know, it, it may be a little more complicated than that um, when considering some of those impacts that faith would have.
0: Gosh, thank you so much for sharing that. And what I hear in so much of what you're saying is it's almost like I'm asking you questions to figure out what's the formula so how do I do this right and you're kind of putting it back in my court to be intentional and do the work of considering like considering who 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 do I want to be in office and how do I love my neighbor and what does it look like to be informed with the decisions that I make and take ownership and agency over that and I think In a culture that thrives off sound bites, I could, I could almost like hear someone hearing this and being like, oh, well, well this, I don't have time to do that. Um, but when I, when I think of how does my faith impact my politics or how does my faith impact my life, I think one of the, one of the things that my relationship with God does for me is it causes me to pause and be intentional, whether it's how am, I, how am I showing up, how am I creating space, how am I being intentional in my spirituality, in my love life, in my family, and really taking, really pausing and thinking about that and reflecting on that. And, and if we're being intentional in all these other areas of our lives, then why would that same intentionality not be applied to this area as well? That's so good. And I mean, think about what the opposite of intentionality
1: is, right? It's, it's being flippant. Mm. It's being dismissive. It's, you know, it's, it's actually all the things that when folks look at politics right now, and they say, this is such a mess, Mm. it's actually all those things. And, you know, I would argue we've kind of gotten ourselves there by, please don't hear this as a guilt trip, but we've kind Mm. of gotten ourselves there by our lack of intentionality. Um, You know, because we, you know, it does require the intentionality that's there, but it's a good invitation that God is giving Mm -hmm. us, right? We're participating in what God is doing in the world. Um, That's a privilege that we have um, rather than, you know, something we need to feel anxious or fearful of you know, the the universe's well-being doesn't sink or swim on whether or not we make the right choice in the voting booth. Um, we can't possibly know all of the unintended outcomes of what we would decide, right? Mm. Um, but we still are invited by God to participate, and we're invited to use the wisdom that we've been given to look to God's Word, to understand the problems and the world, and Um, what breaks God's heart and what God longs to see made right. Um, And think about those things um, when we're trying to discern the best person to serve for a particular office.
0: If you're a creative, you know the drill. You're finally done editing. It's perfect. Now you just need to format and reformat and reformat for every single platform. With issue, make it once, And it's ready to post everywhere. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital publications from brochures to magazines to sales, collateral, and more. I've used it in my photography business to create online portfolios or specific portfolio pitches to different brands or to my wedding clients. It's honestly perfect for creators, marketers, designers, educators, publishers, salespeople, or anyone that wants to make eye-catching content and it's super easy to use. You simply upload your PDFs and files and Issue transforms them using your vision and customizable templates to create content that you want. With Issue, you create it once and distribute it everywhere. Everything is optimized to post on your website and social platforms like Instagram and Facebook. They can even help you make animated Instagram stories, which, hello, I love Instagram stories. You can start using Issue for free today. They also offer premium features that give you a more customized experience. So get started with Issue today for free, or if you sign up for a premium account, you will get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code CAT. That's issue, I-S-S-U-U dot slash podcast and use promo code CAT at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. I want to ask you a specific question in kind of in response to that. So if I, if I am pausing, if I'm doing the research and I'm being intentional and wanting to really make a decision that reflects my values and beliefs, and maybe that means for the presidential candidate, the person that I support the most is third party. And so I, my question is in this particular election, it, is it a good? What are your thoughts on voting third party?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and like every answer I'm going to give you, it's incredibly complicated. <laughs>
0: Dang um, so. it! Just give us something easy, <laughs> <Sorry>. Stephanie.
1: <laughs> there were no softballs. Um, so the answer is it depends. Um, if you are in a state where your electoral votes um, really matter towards one of the two major candidates so it is like going to be a narrow decision, um, in your state, I would probably encourage you to not vote third party, um, only because of the narrowness that's there. Um, I think other folks, I would just say, I would never want to override someone's conscience. Um, Mm -hmm. and I will say that I myself have voted third party. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, um, there are Many folks with whom I've spoken who in the last election voted third party who will not be voting third party in this mm-hmm. election um, because they uh, have come to a place where they feel there is more wisdom um, in supporting one of the two major party candidates at this point in time. Mm-hmm. That said, I do think that um, in the United States we would benefit from an electoral system that had more than two major parties. Um and, you know, it's something that uh would actually far better represent um the diversity of viewpoints that exist in the country um, and would actually, you know, in a way um hold politicians and candidates accountable for representing Mm. um, their constituents um, because you would have to speak about what you're for if you were running against more candidates for the same office rather than, you know, sort of your goal being to point out how the bad guy is the other guy. Mm. Um, And um, similarly, the ability for citizens to hold their public officials accountable given a greater diversity of candidates, um, and frankly, be motivated to participate in the political process um, by putting forth candidates with strong platforms that address the real issues. Um, all kinds of benefits would come from having more diverse parties than we do right now. But yeah. um that, you know, I could talk about that all day, right. but that's that's less helpful in this election. Right. So so depending on where you live, I think I think the third party question um is a is a question that that has an answer um, related to whether or not it's going to be determinative Mm -hmm. in in your state.
0: And how do you know? Is there, do you Google that? Is my state going to be a narrow decision? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, most often like, uh, the
1: conversations are things like, uh, swing states, or you can look at the polling for your state. Usually there's a not partisan poll in your state. Um, so it's not, you know, run by, uh, a known conservative or a known progressive organization, mm-hmm. but it's run by, you know, some nonpartisan Institute, um, that would, you know, say, Hey, the margin, you know, the, the, the toss up factor here is pretty clear. Um, you know, that we're, we're polling within three points of each other and the margin of error is three points. That mm. means it's a dead heat right now. Mm. Um, and so, you know, in those States, I would encourage someone who's considering to vote third party to choose, um, between one of the two major parties. I live in Washington, DC, right? We, we are never going to elect a Republican <laughs> to any office. Um, so, um, you know, it, Voting third party, um, is something that will also never elect someone, uh, who is, uh, you know, maybe more aligned with my perspective. Mm -hmm. DC has robust parties at the grassroots level that are pretty progressive parties like the, uh, the statehood green party and such. Um, but, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, it's a place where, you know, in in a, in a place like D.C., all of the action actually happens at the primary. And that's true for a lot of other um, local political communities as well, mm-hmm. in in which case I'll just make one more point about yeah. that. Like the importance of voting in every election, not just the presidential election, um, particularly because um, so many of these decisions in lots of places are actually getting decided at the primary Um and that would be a really good way to ensure that the best candidate is coming in um, for, the, for the election later.
0: Hmm. That's, I'm just, I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I'm taking notes <laughs> because <laughs> I am learning so much. And I think that's so, it's so important. And when you're talking about voting, not just presidential, but primary, all the elections, it reminds me of this book. That my mom used to read to me when I was a little kid, bear with me, <laughs> is it was about this rooster that wanted to make pizza. And she kept asking all the little farm animals, do you want to help me pull the tomatoes? Do you want to help me make the dough? And no one wanted to help her make the pizza. So she goes and makes the pizza on her own. And then everyone starts smelling the pizza. And then at the very end, everyone wants to be a part of her little pizza party. And she's like, well, but you guys didn't want to help me the whole time. And now you want to be a part of it when it's, you know, the big shebang. And so, yeah, I even feel challenged and in, in convicted to be more active in, in all the elections because I think in the past, I've used overwhelm as an excuse not to vote as much. I will say the last... I feel basically... My my political awakening has happened in the last six, seven years, and Mm -hmm. I've I've really tried to commit to voting more and more. Um, But it just seems like what you're saying is it's just more robust. It's just more involved. It's way more complicated than the presidential election. There's more there.
1: Yeah. Right. Um. and I'm not sure that it's more complicated. It just requires, it's back to your word of intentionality, mm. right? And and that's why I encourage people not to do this as a solo, mm. right? Um, and, you know, frankly, the, there's other benefits of that. I mean, another huge upside of not trying to do this all as a solo is you're actually talking to other people about how you think. Um, and, you know, I don't know any other area in our lives where we spend so little energy talking with other people who we think are wise Hmm. um you know but for some reason politics is a place where you know we kind of don't want to put ourselves out there in a conversation with someone who's wise um we you know sort of just want to kind of like duck and cover because we don't maybe want to get in an uncomfortable conversation Hmm. with someone um but you know being able to talk through these ideas ask questions and not have it be a polarized argument. And I think, I think there is so much fear right now because it does feel like things are really polarized. And particularly as we're coming close on the election, um, the church itself um, feels incredibly polarized. You know, I, I've been doing a lot of podcasts and other things over the last couple of weeks and one thing I've been sharing with everyone is, you know, as God's people, there is more that unites us in Christ than divides us in politics. And we've forgotten that in many ways. Um, And, you know, part of doing politics, not as a solo, will help us remember that. Um, Whereas right now, you know, so much of the way that many um, churches are, you know, heartbreakingly divided um, is, you know, in ways that have so much more, it, the emphasis is so much more on the things that divide us because of politics, um, rather than the emphasis uh, about the things that unite us in Christ. And then recognizing that politics is about wisdom-based decisions, politics are, you know, it's not decisions about the essentials of our faith or the validity of someone's faith identity because they are Team X or Team Y, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a way we can work ourselves to a different place than where we are right now. Um, but it is going to require some courage to, you know, trust and walk out a little bit, um, you know, to say like, help me understand what you think, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and also, um, a little bit of discipline to not want to, you know, kind of come back at someone, uh, when they say something, uh, that we find objectionable Mm -hmm. in a way that is, um, not uh you know, something that God would encourage us to respond with, right? You know, cutting a person off or um, you know, uh, you know, ad homining them for, you know, or dismissing them, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a brother or sister for whom Christ died, right? And so um we we you know I, I'm I'm not saying we can always have a productive conversation because I will just say that there there are conversations that can get really unproductive. Mm-hmm. However Um, Those are the minority of the conversations. The majority of conversations, you know, the reason they sort of escalate to a place where people are just trying to like convince each other is because if you really were observing it, the person observing would say, actually, neither of you heard the other person. Um, And so how do we get, you know, ourselves to a place where we're not in heated debate, we're in um, curiosity-informed discussion, Um, CPJ, uh, we coordinate these groups called political discipleship groups. And one of the sessions in political discipleship is this thing called political autobiography. And you basically have to go home. You're in this group and you go home for the week. Your homework is writing how you came to think the things you think about politics. And then the next week you come back and you share it with everyone in your group. And it's super helpful um, because it gives you a disciplined framework to be able to talk about why you came to think the things you think politically. Um, And it's often quite self-revealing for folks as they're writing it, where they realize, I actually haven't thought very deeply about this, or no, here is why I feel so strongly about this particular issue. And I never really connected those dots for myself before. Um, But it really does help people begin to um, see the other people, um, as more human than maybe we see them right now when we see them just as they're on team Y and I'm on team X.
0: Right. And I, as you're saying that I hear it and I'm like, yes, that's, that's what we need to do. We need to be able to build bridges of connection with people who believe differently than us. However, in practice, I personally have found it really hard and I don't know. What it feels like is that politics feel very polarizing right now, more than it has in the past. I don't know if that's true or not, or if that's just what my current experience is. And with my mouth, I've said, I want to hear the other side of things. But then recently I've realized, actually, like, if you don't believe that racism exists in our country... I, I I, do have an agenda in our conversation. And I want, if I'm being honest, I want this other person to leave this conversation coming to my side. Mm-hmm. And so I've struggled with, am I... I guess maybe I don't really believe that I want to build a bridge of connection without an agenda, because really, I do want this person to see the way I'm seeing things. And so I've struggled. I've just really struggled with it because I've had really hard and painful conversations with people I love and... Who you know, it's we say we, be, you know, we say we believe the same thing about God, and and I have felt really mystified and hurt and offended at. Well, if you say you love God, why don't you care about why don't you care about racism, in our country? Why don't you care about abuse of power? And and so. Yeah, I just wanted to share. That's where I've been. And so, mm-hmm. how do we actually enter into those conversations? If, if I'm being really honest, I do want someone to come to my side.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a part of it for me is a way that I've maybe learned over the years mm-hmm. to, to have a discipline for myself around this. Um, you know, because I'm from like a Italian family in the Bronx. Like, mm-hmm. so my ability to want to come back at or convince, Mm. uh, is like off the charts. (laughs) It's like how, how we were raised. Um, the, the thing that has been the most helpful discipline for me is, is one, assuming that, you know, none of this is a one and done conversation most often, right? It's, it's the benefit of even thinking about my own political autobiography and how I came to change over time as God graciously worked on me through encounters with people who were not like me, um, and turned my heart to be more like his when he sees the world. Right. Um, so, you know, I can have more patience when I remember that, like, I didn't um you know uh you know get up on my fifth birthday and care <laughs> about the things that break God's heart right the the other piece just as a discipline for me is also um you know really praying around like two things um you know you've probably had this situation in your life where there is someone who is making a shipwreck of their life right and you have no control over what is happening and you pray for what that person looks like healed and whole.
0: Mm.
1: I, I pray that way for people who I feel like are not open to hearing other people's perspective. Mm. And, and I start my prayer by saying, I may be wrong. Like, I actually may be believing this is true about this person and I may be the problem. (laughs) So like, please, God, if I'm the problem, correct me. Um, But then, you know, I am praying, like, can you soften this person's heart so they could hear maybe something that they're missing right Hmm. now? And then I also ask God, like, what do you want from me here? Because sometimes I've found, like, for whatever reason, I am not the best messenger. Um, You know, I I would say that, um, you know, there are certain people for whom my personality is not their favorite personality, right? (laughs) And so I'm not the most credible messenger for them. And so, you know, for me, it's sometimes knowing when I have to say, you know, to my brother in Christ. Hey, could you talk to our brother in Christ about this? Like, because I think I'm not credible Mm -hmm. and I think you are, and I think you share the same concern I have. Um, so it's sort of like, uh, I think about that as like the tag team approach Mm -hmm. of like, Hey, I need an, I I need someone to spell me in this. Um, all of those things have actually been really helpful kind of disciplines. Mm -hmm. Um, rather than me thinking that I'm going to convince a person rather than my, you know, especially in one conversation, um, rather than me thinking, you know, that, um, they're, you know, they are totally unwilling to hear anything. And rather than thinking it's gotta be me. Mm -hmm. Um, if I can sort of adopt those, you know, kind of rubrics in my head to figure out how, Maybe this isn't going the way I hope because of these other things. Um, That's been a great help to me
0: over the years. Mm, That's super helpful. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, we're focusing so much on the presidential election. I mean, it's just in a few days, but there is life after the election. And what resources do you have for, uh, you know, election day is going to come and go. What do we do after that? Yeah, it's great.
1: Um, Yeah, I like to talk about um the election is not the end, it's the beginning. Um, and what I mean is, we often, right, think about, okay, I've got to like, get all my ducks in the row and like, go ahead and vote, and then I'm done. And I don't have to think mm-hmm. about this again for four more years. And what I'm saying is, wouldn't it be awesome if four years from now, you didn't feel the level of anxiety you felt around making these decisions? You didn't feel the level of, um, I don't know. Like I look at the ballot and I think, I don't know what those offices are, what they do, anything about any of these candidates. Um, there's an opportunity uh, that we have immediately after the election um, to start the work of getting to know our communities more, um, to start to know things like, is my chief law enforcement officer elected or appointed? Um, what are the policies in my community? You know, I, I think about the kids a lot, right? And, um, and, you know, I think a lot about um, criminal justice systems. Uh, and one of the challenges, right, in many communities is Kids get justice system involved um, because of schools and school discipline policies or because of things like juvenile probation over status offenses, things Mm -hmm. like skipping school. Um, You know, half of kids who get juvenile probation um, are, you know, in probation, on probation because of something like skipping school. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, these are kids who with a different... Opportunity than um, probation um, could really have that skipping school thing um, just turn into a moment that helps them turn into a different direction. Then, essentially, what happens with kids who go on probation most often is it's their introduction to the criminal justice system. Right? It just says a downward spiral, as opposed to um, a place where a mentor comes and invests in their lives, or a place where they're in a program. Um, you know, within their community, that helps um, them have all kinds of other, you know, uh, meaningful experiences. Rather than, you know, my only relationship now is this, you know, thing being adjudicated with a parole officer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all of these kind of opportunities that we have in our communities, um, you know, are are available to us. Um, and you know, in certain extent, it's almost like a place where you can follow a place where God's already tugging on your heart. Um, You know, I know so many women are deeply concerned about human trafficking. Um, And the reality is most court systems in the country right now don't have any way that they screen for trafficking when they bring someone in who's been arrested for prostitution. Um, And so most of those women who might be trafficking victims automatically end up in the criminal justice system. and you know, we need you know people who are going to be willing to work with court systems to push for reforms that say you need an evidence-based screening tool to make sure that trafficking victims get put into a different thing than the criminal justice system, right? They should just automatically get diverted into something that's going to help them get out of trafficking. Um, but like Washington, D.C., I think is the only jurisdiction in the country that has a tool like that right now. Wow. Um, there are so very many things like that, 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 you know, it, it's not going to take a thousand hours a month. Um, it's going to take a handful of people who are willing to patiently continue to move the ball forward um, at, you know, your local community with this court system, with this elected official, with this organization. So, you know, that's one way. Another way is really like, okay, I, you know, realizing for some people, it's like, okay, my backpack to do this is full of junk. Like my backpack for how to think about politics is totally formed by Team X or Team Y. And I actually don't know anything other than soundbites. Um, and it's not formed by like faith. So some of the things that I've been talking about, you know, if the four things I said at the beginning around, you know, like implications of faith for politics were like, I never thought about any of that. Um, You know, we run this political discipleship, um, these political discipleship groups, and you can lead one or start one with a friend. Um, We have tons of groups all over the country doing them on Zoom right now. Um, And, you know, it's uh, 11 sessions. It helps a group kind of think about and also use... And develop some of the skills that should be, you know, in your backpack for Mm -hmm. the lifelong journey of kind of being an engaged Christian citizen. Um, So things like deliberation, things like, um, you know, coming up with decision rules, things like how do you decide which issue you would choose to work on together? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you get a group of people in a room and, you know, I may come to the room as a person who commutes to my office on a bike and say, I think the most important thing in my community is bike lanes and someone else shows up and they live in a different part of my community. And I can sure as heck tell you, they are not putting bike lanes at the top of their agenda because their neighborhood isn't safe. Right. Um, and they, you know, I can come to a place where I begin to understand somebody else's really bad deal um, just because they were born in a particular zip code. Um, And we can make a decision together to say, yeah, you know what? Bike lanes are awesome and there's nothing wrong with them, but it might not be the most important issue in our community today. And maybe bike lanes are something I want to keep working on, but maybe I also want to work on this other thing Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Um, So the political discipleship kind of experience helps walk people through. And then the other piece, um, you know, particularly for young adults, um, we publish uh, an online journal called Shared Justice. Um, and, um, for folks who love to write, we also, you know, it's a, for us, by us for young adults. Um, and it does take up a lot of these topics, um, and give an opportunity to sort of think out loud. So some of the ways that I've talked about sort of wrestling with the questions, it's doing that, um, very deliberately. And many of the issues that I've talked about today, um, are ones that get discussed, Um, in addition to, you know, issues that are, you know, at the national level conversation all the time, like, um, you know, religious freedom for faith-based organizations. Um, So all kinds of pieces like that that are being um, talked about on shared justice.
0: That's so helpful. Thank you so much. And man, just as we kind of uh, wrap up, I have have 30 more questions to ask you, Um, but I would just love to hear Just maybe a a few things of let's say a person is hearing this and still feels as though I don't know how to vote next week. I don't know who to vote for. Are there a few key issues you think are important to look at when considering different candidates? Um, And how like how would you encourage someone to look at a candidate for next week's election more holistically?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because I think one of the questions I've gotten a lot this year um, is, and it it makes sense, um, is really a question about character, um, you know, and essentially can we separate someone's personal character from their policy? Um, And, you know, I think I've heard this, you know, from people who are concerned often that they have friends who have said, you know, I'm going to vote for person X, even though I don't agree with how person X lives their personal life, but I support person X's policy. Um, And, you know, I think that this is one of those places where we're trying as voters to come up with, you know, what you were talking about, you know, like, what is the, what is the thing, you know, how how can I narrow the field Mm -hmm. somehow Mm -hmm. You know, so I think you know. I want to talk about the character question. And I'll come back to the issue question. You know, I think um, with the character question, you know, unfortunately, I think we've had to wrestle as a nation with this question a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and the current president um, has brought this conversation um, back into the public conversation, but it's not a conversation that has uh, you know it's just like the first time it's ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been a conversation um, in our nation's history in our lived lifetimes. Um, you know, I would sort of offer, you know, maybe two counter questions to it, you know, because it, 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 the question really comes down to like, can we separate someone's personal character from their policy? And, you know, just, uh, I think about it this way, like if your pastor had terrible character, would you be okay if your church was growing and people were coming to know Christ, but your pastor had terrible character, um, would that concern you? right like and and why sort of like what 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 is setting off an alarm bell there for you right or if your boss treated you and your coworkers maliciously but paid you all really well um if there's something that gives you pause there mm-hmm. um what are those things right and would those negative things about the character of those leaders bother you or would you just focus on the outcomes? And, you know, I think I've come to the conclusion that, you know, <laughs> scripture's clear that no human will exhibit perfect character, but politics seems to be the only place where we're willing to focus only on outcomes mm-hmm. and excuse character when we seem to be getting the results that we seem to want. Um, And I would encourage folks to question that, um, you know, with the same level of if when I say, you know, if your pastor had terrible character, would that be okay with you if your church was growing and people were coming to know Christ? I think for most Christians, um, we wouldn't excuse the pastor's terrible character um, just because we were getting the outcomes that we were hoping to have. you know to speak to the issues i do think that um you know there are such a huge number of issues um to be considered i do think that right now um uh pandemic response is a really significant issue and i think that um racial justice is a really significant issue um and i do think that um, having a set of conversations about what it means to be um, well as a nation. Um, So, you know, what does it mean to not be in these increasingly polarized conversations um, and have ways where people work together across lines of difference as opposed to punish each other for disagreeing. Um, and I, I don't, I don't mean to say that as, you know, just, you know, have fake unity. We're going to really disagree with each other sometimes, like all the way down, we will achieve disagreement. Um, but, um, if the goal, um, is to say, Hey, we need to actually listen to people who, um, are, uh, you know, we can't, we can't just say this is the way it is, um, but we have to be willing to kind of pay attention to the breadth of um, folks who who are citizens. Um, I think that is probably also something worth well worth paying attention to in this season. Um, that's hard because I think, you know, there's, there's all kinds of questions um, around human life. Um, and I think folks really wrestle with those questions. Um, and I certainly do not want to burden someone's conscience unduly. Um, but I do think that, um, the, hu- the questions of human life are really, um, very big questions, um, and extend To kind of all of the questions that I've just talked about, um, within the issues and frankly, within the context of character.
0: Mm, So good. Thank you so much, Stephanie. And yeah, thank you for your wisdom, for your insight and just really kind of supporting, supporting me, supporting my community. So I'm just so grateful for this conversation. Is there any, any final thoughts you have or anything you would like to say that you didn't say? No, I'm just super grateful. Um, and I do really
1: want to just commend um, to all of you the opportunity to not see this as a solo. Mm-hmm. And really remember, um, you know, if you're in a situation where you just feel really estranged from your brothers and sisters in Christ um, over politics, um, you know, just, just to remember that there is more that unites us in Christ than divides us in politics. And, um, that, that there is, there's real work that can be done there. Um, and you're not the only person that's feeling that way right now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really hopeful that God is doing something, um, really powerful because so many people are feeling Mm. so divided and feeling like it's not okay that we're like this at the, as the church. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me, you know, what would be tragic is if it was happening and nobody cared, right? Instead, we have all these folks who are basically saying, "This we can't be like this. This isn't how we're supposed to be. So what, what's gone wrong and how do we fix it? So it's actually, you know, recognizing that there's a problem there is actually incredibly encouraging mm-hmm. um, as, as thinking about what the solutions to that
0: can be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Stephanie, so much. Can you tell people how to keep up with the work that you're doing and the work for Center for Public Justice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, our website is cpjustice.org, and we have a mini site for the Political Discipleship works that is uh, Political Discipleship. Dot .org. Um, and uh, the For Us Bias journal that I called out, Shared Justice, also has its own mini site, sharedjustice.org. And we're on all social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything like that. Um, Instagram is Center Public Justice. Everything else is cpjustice.org.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. My vote isn't all about me, but about the flourishing and shalom of my community. I just stopped in my tracks when Stephanie said that in our conversation. And honestly, I hadn't thought about it like that way before. And I think even just what she was saying over and over again about how this shouldn't be a solo journey, a solo path to figuring out who and how to vote for But let's do it in community with others because really these decisions are about peace, peace in our country, peace in our neighborhoods, peace in our lives. So gosh, I'm just so grateful for Stephanie and her wisdom. Gosh, what an incredibly smart and sharp woman. If you, like me feel overwhelmed about politics and how to vote and how to really step out with more clarity as, the, as time progresses, then I would love to invite you to go to politicaldiscipleship.org and join one of the small groups that Center for Public Justice offers for people just like you and me who may not know how we came up with our political beliefs up to this point. And like Stephanie so eloquently shared earlier, it's all about being intentional and being intentional with a group of other people, with a posture of humility, with a willingness to learn. So politicaldiscipleship.org if you're interested in that. Now, up next week, we are back to the That's What He Said series All of the other episodes of this series are actually old episodes from a few years ago, except next week's episode. So next week's That's What He Said episode is with a single, almost 40-year-old dude talking about dating and today's culture and answering your top questions. It's never before been heard on the internet. So you get to hear it first. I'm so excited for you guys to hear Matt Jones next week on the That's What He Said series. Talk to you soon.